Hello, welcome to the Equippers International Podcast. We are studying the book of Hebrews, and we are currently in chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 7 through 14 for today's episode. Remember those who lead you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of these animals, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Well, there's a lot here in these verses, so let's go ahead and dive right in into our interpretation. In verse 7, the writer encourages his readers to remember those who lead you. It's a present tense verb, so he's probably referencing those among them in the Jerusalem church who are taking up some type of leadership. They were the ones that spoke the word of God to them. That's a past tense verb, so it's as though there are people in the congregation or in the church in Jerusalem that he's referring to. We don't have names. We know that at this point, probably at the writing of this letter, James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader in the church in Jerusalem and who also wrote the epistle to James, was probably already dead. It's noted in history that he was stoned at some point in time in the early to mid-60s. This would have been the time that this letter had been written just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem by several years. So he's probably alluding to some of the foundational leaders, although other leaders are still alive because he refers to those who lead you, like I said, in the present tense. The most important thing that he points out is for the believers to imitate their faith. He says you notice their conduct, but you imitate their faith. So for the writer, the most important attribute of a person's walk with the Lord is their faith walk with the Lord, not necessarily looking at their conduct. The fact that they walk by faith and they walk in an intimate relationship and connection to the Lord results in good conduct. But it's not the conduct that we imitate. It's their faith that we imitate. Now he goes on to say in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now we know that God is unchangeable and that he is the everlasting God, but he is able to interact with us in the ebbs and flow of life and walk with us along this journey. He doesn't appear as some rigid, capricious God that says this is the only way things are done. So it's not just a theological statement about the nature of God. It's more a relational comment on the fact that the way Jesus operates in the lives of people in their faith relationship, he is the same. He is the same as he's always been and he will always be the same. He is our source of life. And as we put our faith in him and as we live our life by faith, like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says, the life which I now 
live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and offered himself up for me. Jesus Christ is the same. He will always be there to supply his very life for us. And he goes into this statement about not being carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. So the functional process of the believer's life is this place of grace. It's the place where God provides the free gift of Christ's life for us as we take what he has done for us and as we believe by faith that he's living in us, then our hearts are encouraged and we are strengthened in our relationship with him. We're not strengthened by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. He's talking about the Jewish obsession with food rights and food preparation and all the sundry laws of the Old Testament. This was a very important aspect of Jewish religion. And Paul talks about it on numerous other occasions. And he says that foods are not the point of contact. These external things do not profit us. It's the internal process of the functional grace of God in our lives. So it's not the externals of eating and preparation of food and obeying all the various laws. The writer is making a strong contrast between the internals of faith and grace and the externals of foods and natural and physical things. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now he's moving right back into a compare and contrast of the old covenant with the new covenant. We've spoken about it in this podcast over and over. That's the thrust of this book. And we have to remember that at the time of the writing of this book, the sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem were still taking place. Even years after Jesus died on the cross, the Jews... Jews were still offering sacrifices. And it's that old covenant that's still in place even after the cross that is going to ultimately become obsolete when Jerusalem is destroyed. But in this period where God is showing patience toward the Jewish people for their rejection of their Messiah, the sacrifices are still taking place. That's why he's speaking in present tense verbs in verses 10, 11, and 12. Because he says that those who currently serve the tabernacle, the place of sacrifice in the temple, have no right to eat at a table that we have. This altar that he's referring to is the Christian's place of fellowship with God. Now he's going to go on in the next verses that we're going to look at in tomorrow's episode about the sacrifice of praise and worship that we offer at our altar. But for right now, he's saying that those priests that are offering those sacrifices in disobedience to the Lord because Jesus has already died the once and for all sacrifice, but they rejected it. They did not recognize that sacrifice as having anything profitable for them. In fact, we're going to see in these verses just coming up in verse 12 and 13, that they actually despised what Jesus did. They wanted to crucify and kill him in such a way that made everyone know that Jesus was a worthless life. And I know this sounds very harsh, but this is exactly what the Jews wanted to do. They wanted to set him aside. And the writer says that these priests have no right to eat at the altar that we have. And he goes on to explain in verse 11 that the bodies 
bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest for the offering for sin, they are burned outside the camp. Now, according to the instructions of the Old Testament, especially on the Day of Atonement, that sacrifice that's offered on the altar, its remains must be taken outside the camp to the unholy, unclean place and be disposed of and burned and destroyed. This is part of God's instruction to the children of Israel. So they saw the remains of these sacrificial lambs that were offered for sin as unclean, and they were taken outside of the city, and they were burned there. And that is where Jesus, when he was crucified, he was crucified outside of the city. This is a strong contrast between the work of the law, which all the details of which are done in the temple, according to the old covenant, and the work of Jesus that is done completely outside the city. This is a metaphorical picture of the complete separation of the work of Christ over and against the work of the old covenant. So he says that Jesus, in sanctifying the people through his blood, suffered outside the gate. So the whole process of Jesus laying down his life as the one and for all sacrifice for sin for all time was done outside the gate. It was done outside the city. And so the writer says, therefore, let us go with him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. This is a strong application for believers to associate with a Jesus who is outside of all religion. He's especially outside of Judaism. He has come and he has performed the final sacrifice, which has inaugurated the new covenant, which is completely different than. In the Old Covenant. This book has been clear over and over and over. And now the writer is encouraging these Jewish believers to make the ultimate and final association by going outside the camp. It is a metaphor of going outside of your religious expressions of Judaism once and for all and associating with Christ. And there they know that they have a lasting city. It is not the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not a lasting city. And when it was destroyed in A.D. 70, it was the end of the Jewish religion. It was the beginning of a new covenant that would always and forever represent a lasting city. And God knows that these people needed to be encouraged because in the natural it was so easy to look at the things that were taking place around them and to listen to the voices of people that did not have a revelation of who Christ is and what He's done and what we can stand in. So the writer gives them a strong exhortation to continue to set their eyes on Jesus. Continue to walk by faith faith. Continue to trust in an everlasting city. Continue to engage the Lord on the spiritual level. This is the process of the Christian life, and this is exactly what the writer of this letter continually points his readers to doing, because he knows this is the reality. So this is a beautiful encouragement for the way that believers need to identify with Jesus. We need to be prepared to all 
always be standing outside of religion, outside of man's preformed perceptions of what is required to relate to God because we have an altar. We have an everlasting city. We have a place where Jesus fellowships with us and we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. God's life now dwells within us. We don't have to go looking for physical expressions. We have everything that we need in Christ. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.